Now, over the last couple of weeks uh, in our Simply Live um, emphasis, uh, I have been trying to kind of build and provide for us a biblical and theological foundation for why we're doing what it is that we're doing, right? Some of you are wondering that. Why are we doing what we're doing? And so, biblically and theologically, I've been trying to lay that out, not only so that we could understand what it is that we're doing, but that we can, we can have a God-given conviction within our hearts that will drive us so that we know that what we're doing is the right thing. And so what we've done is we've looked at several different principles through the month. And the very first week really dealt with God's purpose, that God has a purpose. And God's purpose is very simple. It's this, is that he be glorified in all things. That he be seen and treated as infinitely more valuable than anything or anyone. So everything that Christ, or God has done, everything that he is doing, and everything that he will ever do, he has done for his glory, including creating you and creating me and creating every person who has ever existed to set them apart, to demonstrate God's infinite worth above all else. Now, we said that, and we said, but understanding his purpose, we also have to understand that there's a problem. And the problem is, is that most of the people he has created are not doing those very things. Instead of worshiping God and and ascribing worth to him over all else, they begin to worship the created things, just like the song said, the created things over the creator itself. So because of that, God has a plan. And in his plan, Uh, He is going to use people like you and he's going to people like me to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are not followers of God and he's going to use the word of God to transform them from idol worshipers to God worshipers to fulfill his purpose, all right? Now, we got the purpose, we got the plan and this morning we're going to focus specifically on God's provision because stop and think about it for a minute. If God's plan is for us Celebration, Baptist Church, for us as a corporate body, as a body of believers, uh, if, if, if his desire is for us to take uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to not only here in Yulee and in Nassau County, but to all nations across the world, that's going to take a lot, right? It's going to take a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of thought. It's going to take a lot of work. And so we need a mighty provision of God to be able to fulfill the plan that God has given us so that God's purpose will be fulfilled, that he will be glorified. So today, we're going to be focusing on God's provision. Now, let me say something just before we jump into our text and start unpacking this. I know that there are some first-time people here And you're going to sit there and you're going to come and we are so glad that you're here. It is awesome that you're here. We love that you're here. But let me just say what's about to happen. You just so once a year I preach on money and you're here to hear it, all right? I'm just just letting you know you're blessed because some of you might come and say all preachers ever do is preach on that. But you're going to see that this is not merely about money. It's not that simplistic. It's much greater, it's much more wonderful, it's much more glorious, it's more, much more life-transforming of the truth that God has in the Word this morning. So let's focus on God's provision together this morning by looking at Psalm 67. Now, in Psalm 67, we're really, really not sure who it was that authored this, who wrote this particular psalm. Uh, some have suggested that it was David, but you really can't be sure. Um, the truth is, it's probably a good guess because he's written so many of them. 
but the truth is, is that most scholars are kind of disagreed on that, but a lot of them agree on when this particular, or around when this particular psalm would have been written. And it would have been written during one of the Jewish harvest festivals. And, and right before uh, the people were to go out and to be able to take in this great harvest, what, uh, to harvest all of their crops, this was a prayer that they begin to pray before they would go out and take part in that harvest. And so what we find is we find two major parts that I want to draw your attention to this morning that tells us something about uh, God's provision to us. Uh, The first thing that we see is we see a bold request being made by God's people to God. Notice in verse 1, and I'll just read the whole thing, then we'll break it apart. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine Upon us. So here they're making a bold request, and there's really three different things that they're asking for here. The first thing that they're asking for is there is a bold, they're making a bold request for God's grace. So what they're doing is they're beginning by saying, Hey God, we're undeserving, but we want you to give us not what we deserve. We want you to give us what we do not deserve. Okay? Now that's a, pr- a prayer and a request of a repentant sinner. When a person comes to understand their depth of their sin and light of the holiness of God, then what they do is they never raise their hand to God and demand their just reward, right? They don't demand, God, give me what it is that I deserve. Why do they not do that? Because the repentant sinner recognizes that if he were to be given what it was that he deserved, that he would spend eternity in a fiery hell separated from God in torment forever. So the repentant sinner who comes to understand his sinfulness in light of God's holiness, he doesn't cry out for his just reward, but he cries out for grace and for mercy. When he prays to God, he says, God, don't give me what it is that I deserve. Don't don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve, not based on my goodness, but based on your goodness. So the call is a call for God to give them grace, give them what they don't deserve. The second thing that they're boldly requesting of God is his blessing. And and notice he says here in verse 1 again, may God be gracious to us and bless us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this particular idea of blessing us. When we bless God, we do very little because all they are is words. Our words have no, no ability to be able to impart to God anything. And he says, but yet on the other side, when God blesses us, It's a completely different animal. He doesn't use that. That was me translating his words, all right? Uh, They didn't use that kind of speech 150 years ago. But but the idea is, he says here, he says, says, but when God blesses us, he changes everything because he enriches us with gifts and with deeds. So what the people are doing is, this is what they're saying, God, we want you, we us undeserving people, to bless our socks off. And we want you to bless us in two ways. It's going to incorporate two things, both spiritual blessings and material blessings. And material blessings, what he's going to say is, okay, God, we want you to bless us spiritually. We want you to reveal yourself to us. We want to commune with you. We want to have a relationship with you. We want you to reveal your will to us, your ways to us. God, give us all the spiritual blessings there are to be had and just pour it down on us. So give us spiritual blessings. But then they also say, and this makes us a little bit less comfortable here, he says, give us your material blessings. What he's saying is, he's saying, hey, God, we want you to not just take care of our needs and not just to give food on the table and to pay our bills. We want loads of cash. That's what we want. 
We want you to bless our socks off. We want you to give us an extraordinary amount of crops and blessings upon us. Now, folks, this is much more than how Jesus taught us to pray, to say, you know, give us this day our daily bread. They're saying, we want it all. Give it to us now. Now, I don't know about you, but when I begin to read this and I begin to study it and understand it, it leaves me feeling very uncomfortable, okay? Uh, Because they're asking for some crazy things. They're asking them for what they don't deserve. They're asking them for blessings of God, both monetarily and spiritually. But then notice this, just as though that's not enough, then they throw, they ask for the favor of God. It says, and make his face to shine upon us. What in essence he's saying is, hey God, we want to be the apple of your eye. Of all the peoples of the world, we want to be special. Okay, when, when, when we, we want you to have a special affection that rises up in you when you think about us. Okay, now again, this is making it just more uncomfortable. Why does it feel so uncomfortable when we read these kind of prayer requests? Because it seems like it reeks of self-centeredness, doesn't it? God, give me, give me, give me, give me all this stuff to myself. Now, the truth is, is that you and I, many of us here, probably pray very similar prayers like this, don't we? Now, you don't want to admit it. You're smiling, but you don't want to admit it because we know it sounds very self-centered. But how many times, how many prayers have we prayed that we've only gone to God when we wanted something and we said, God, give us this job, give us this money, give us this opportunity. God, give me this car, give me this thing, give me this material item. God, give me, give me, give me. But you and I are smarter than these people, (laughs) See, we know that we pray that individually, but if we're in a group of people, we don't pray that way because it seems incredibly self-centered. We pray for other people and for the glory of God and stuff like that, right? But what's happening here is we find this. Really what they're praying when you study it, they're not praying a selfish prayer at all. In fact, it's just completely the opposite of what they're doing. We find that they make a bold request and their bold request was made from a better motivation than self-centeredness. What we find is this, is in verse 2, listen, listen to what they do. They say that your, give us this, give us your grace, give us your blessing, give us your mercy, give us all of these things. Why? Not so that we can hoard it, but instead, in verse 12, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. So when they cry out, God, bless us with all of these things, they're not saying bless us so that we can hoard it. They're saying bless us so that we can be a blessing and bless the nations of the world. Now, I love the way that John Stott says this. He says that they prayed that God would bless them, not in order to wallow comfortably in his blessings themselves, but in order that it might pass from them to others. So their prayer is not that they're going to become a terminal of God's gifts, terminal of God's, good de- or God's blessings, where a terminal just takes things in. They want to be a tunnel of God's blessings. They say, God, give it to us. Give us all of these blessings. Give it to us radically. Open up the windows of heaven so that when it comes to us, we can just funnel it out. It just goes right through us to all the nations of the world. Now, they specifically say how they're going to use these riches that God, that they're asking for. They say, when, God, when you bless us, we want to do some specific things with it. The first thing they want to do is so that, so that God would be known by others. 
He says, first thing is that God would be known by others. Look at verse two. He says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The Jewish people knew something that you and I need to know this morning. And that is, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is found in the word of God, a person cannot truly know God. They cannot come into a right relationship with God. They can look and study trees, and they can listen to birds all day. They can look at the sand. They can, they can study nature. But the Bible says that, guess what? You cannot know and enter into a right relationship or even know that you have to have a right relationship with God or the way to enter into that relationship without the revealed word of God. The Jewish people knew it, and we know it. But here's the key. They saw it as a huge problem. And why is it a problem? Because there are 11,000 people groups in this world. There are 11,000 distinct people groups that speak their own language, that have their own beliefs, that, that primarily a lot of them have their, even their own religions, He says, in this world, 11,000 distinct people groups in this world. But here's the crazy thing. The Bible teaches us that six, or the the, the, um, statistics tell us that 6,000 of them, more than half of those 11,000 people groups have no access to the gospel or the word of God at all. No access to it whatsoever. In other words, 6,000 specific individual people groups will be born, will live, and will die with absolutely no possibility whatsoever to be saved. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. I don't know if you're okay with that. These people were not okay with that. Paul then asks a very important question in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. If they do not have it, and we have it, how do they get it? He asks the question, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how, will they, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? He says, how will those people without the gospel get the gospel? And he answers the question in, 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 in the easiest form. Here it is, by those whom God has given and entrusted the gospel to. That's how they will ultimately hear it. Paul says it in much a more, a much more grand way. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. These people are calling God to bless their socks off. He says, because when you do, we're going to use the riches that you give us. God, you're going to give us those riches, not for us to merely just fill our brains with the word of God from one week to the next, not merely just to fill our stomachs with the food that, that you provided for us, and not to fill our closets with stuff and our, and our attics with stuff and, and, and our storage units with stuff and our barns with stuff. No, God, we're asking you to give it to us so that we can send people with the gospel and we can go with the gospel so that those who have no possibility of hearing about you can come to know you. Man, that's a powerful thing, isn't it? That's why we ask God bless me. Then they say not only for them to be known by others, but so that God would be praised by others. Notice what he says as well. Next, he says in verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Notice this, let all the peoples praise you. Why are we not just trying to reach Yuli? 
Because God didn't call us just to reach Yuli, right? He said to reach all people from all tribes, nations, and people groups. Everyone, go out there, right? And so we want to be reaching people fervently here and fervently around the world to people who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So that they will praise you. Here's the motivation. We're getting back to that motivation again. The motivation is this, is that believers in Christ who have been saved by grace, who have seen God's infinite glory and worth above all things, we want nothing more than for the rest of the world to see exactly what it is that we see. To come to the same realization that he is more glorious than the things of this world. And so what he says is, is, is they go and they want to go because they want to take those who are idol worshipers and have them to be transformed into God creators. See, the, God worshipers. The problem, and we went over this last week or two weeks ago, the problem is not that the world is lacking worshipers. The whole world is worshiping. The problem is they are worshiping the creation rather than the creator and the believer in Christ. Those that have been saved sit there and say, God, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay by some fat dude by receiving your glory. I'm not okay with, with the cars receiving your glory. The only thing I'm okay with, and I'm not ready, and I'm not able, and I'm not accepting until you, who are the only one who is worthy of all the glory and the honor and the praise, will receive it. That's why, God, I'm asking you to give that. So the nations will praise you. Not only that they know you, not only that they praise you, but here's the thing, but they'll enjoy you. That they'll enjoy you. Do you remember last week when we said this? Last week we said, and it's a quote from John Piper, he's well known for this. He says that God is most glorified when we're most satisfied with him. Do you, do you guys remember that at all? Do, what does that mean? It means this. When your affections and your attitudes and your actions and your love for God surpasses all the other things that this world has and you deny those things in order to be obedient to follow him, God is most glorified. That's how the world sits there and goes, what, you're not going to have premarital sex outside of marriage? This is the best. And you say, man, I've got something better. He's God, I'm going to follow him, right? That glorifies God. But we switched that and said the same is true, that we are most satisfied when God is most glorified in us. When we are living out a glorified life and praising God and doing all to draw glory for him, that is when we find true joy and gladness. And so what the Bible says is that's why these people wanted to go and to give and to work and to use what God is, the riches of God's blessing is so that people would be glad. Verse four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why would they sing for joy? He tells us, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. What does it mean that God judges the people, the peoples with equity? What it means is this, is that God judges unlike any other judge in the world. His judgment is far greater than any other judge in the world. See, this is where every unbeliever is in this world that worships a false god, people worshiping false gods all over the world. They believe that the only way to, to, for them to be able to bypass the judgment of their God and to be accepted by their God is based on their own goodness and their own works for him. So their whole life is lived under a burden 
and of fear. And so what they do is each and every day they wake up, they remember when they're supposed to bow, they remember when they're supposed to pray, they, they do everything they can to sacrifice everything that they're supposed to sacrifice because they know if they don't do everything, then guess what? Then on that day that they die, they're gonna have more bad things, more bad things than good things, and then their God is going to cast them away. But what they're hoping is if maybe, just maybe they can work and they can be faithful and they can do all that they can do. And, and what's so sad about it is it's not only out there, it's in here. Some people today are saying, God, if I could just do enough, if I could just come to church enough, if I could just read the Bible enough, if I could just have enough good things, then on that day you will accept me. And that is no way to live. It's not a joyful way to live. That's torture. That's tedious. No wonder there's no joy in the church and joy in the hearts of God's people because they're trying to earn their acceptance to God. And that's what all the nations are doing. And so what we find in the word is this, is that we come and they sit and they, and they ultimately say, say, listen, the way this singing that comes up and wells up in their heart, the reason they begin to sing is when the heart of a, of, of a converted individual learns that they are not judged and justified based on their service to God. But catch this, they are judged and justified based on God's service to them. <laughs> wow! And some of you are sitting back going, that just doesn't sound right. But why then did Jesus say in Mark ten forty five, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve? And how is he going to serve? By giving his life as a ransom for many. He says, here's the deal. If you don't let me serve you, you will go to hell. And here's the bad thing. Peter, if you don't get that, it's okay, you're in good company. Peter didn't get it. Jesus bows down when he's about to wash, Jesus is about to wash their feet. And this is what Jesus says in John 13, 8. Or, Paul, Paul, or Peter says, says, hey, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus said, you can never work enough, you can never serve enough for you to be made right and for me to accept you. Because the best thing about you is like dirty, filthy, lepers, rags, you'll always fall short, you always will. He says, the only way for you and I to have a right relationship is for me to serve you. And Jesus said, the way that I serve you is by going and doing what you could not to do, do, and that is to fulfill all the law, all the word, all the commands of God, and fill it perfectly. And then the way I will do it is I will pay for your sin debt that you cannot pay. You must allow me to serve you, or you can have no part of my Father, and you can have no part of me. And so where this joy comes from is this when they realized that they cannot serve God in a way that would allow them to be accepted, then all they can do with God is enjoy Him. A God that cannot be served for acceptance is only a God that can be enjoyed. And so you say, well, Brother Mike, can't we serve Him? Yeah. But not in order to be accepted. But because we're accepted. Mike, can't we serve him? Yes. But only not for me to try to earn his favor, but because he bestowed his favor upon me. 
And the reason that I can serve him is because he first served me. And so this is what they say. They say to him, and here's their prayer. Their prayer of these people is for God to give them grace, to give them spiritual and material blessings, but on the imagination in favor of God, so that they will use those things that the nations will come to know, praise, and enjoy God. Now, here's the big question when you're interpreting Scripture. What does it mean to me? And I think we have two possibilities here, okay? Number one, this could be, uh, is this a question, is this an extraordinary act on the part of God's people to simply be admired, okay? In other words, is, did God place this in the Word of God for you and I to sit back and go, wow, did you read about those folks in 67, Psalm 67? Dude, they had it going on. That was pretty impressive. Man, I don't know how they did it. There's no way that I could do that. Or is this placed in the word of God as a demonst- demonstrating the purpose of God's provision for us to emulate? What is it? For you and I just to look at and admire? Or for you and I to take on the same exact purposes for our life and use all of the blessings that God has funneled in for us to do the same exact thing? I think in order to answer that question, we've got to go back to the beginning. Because here they are asking for all of these things. But what's interesting is, when you go back to the beginning of God setting a people apart for himself, in Genesis chapter 12, open to that just very quickly, if you will. Genesis chapter 12. I believe that question is answered. In Genesis chapter 12, what we see is we see a benevolent God. We see a benevolent God in this particular passage. And what we find is all of the things that the Jewish people, God's people, God's select people, God's chosen people were asking God for in Psalm 67, God had already given them in an extraordinary way when he first called them to be his own people. So in, in Genesis chapter 12, we see the beginning of his people. And so what he does is this. Notice I want to show you a couple of things. The benevolent God, what does he do? First of all, God gave grace to his people. Now, notice verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, remember, we call him Abraham. His name later changes. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, here's an interesting thing. Why in the world sometimes, I don't know if you've ever thought of it, but why in the world did God, out of all the people of the world, choose Abram? What was Abram doing when God called him out of Ur? I'll tell you what he was doing when God found him. He was an idol worshiper. He was worshiping idols, man, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He was worshiping the created things made by hands and not the creator God. He was in full and complete rebellion. He was running from God as far as he possibly could. And this was the guy that God chooses to to begin a people that would be favored above all peoples by him, his people, right? And so we, we look at that and we find out that he chose Abraham not based on his goodness, but on God's goodness, So he chose him by giving him grace. The second thing that we see is this. When God first calls these people, God gave them blessings. Now notice what the Bible says in verse 2. And he says, and I will make make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So there's two parts to that. The end of verse 1 says, and a land that I shall show you. In other words, he's going to give them a land, and I'll make your name great amongst all the nations. Here's the blessing of God on them. Twofold. He says, I'm going to give you two blessings. He goes, spiritually, I'm going to bless you. 
And this is what God did. Out of all the many people in the world, out of all the people groups in the world, he chose by his own sovereign election this one group of people and said, I'm going to reveal myself and my way to you and to you alone. That's it. You want to know have a right relationship with God? You want to know who I am? Here it is. Everybody else is going to stare at trees. They're going to get it wrong. I'm going to give it to you and entrust it to you. That's it. Okay? And so, so God gives them this, this spiritual blessing. Then he gives them a monetary blessing in like a land. Can you imagine? Hey, I'm going to give you a country. All right? You guys are excited when we get like a house, right? And I'm excited for my backyard that's like five by ten, right? Sometimes we get throw a Frisbee, but it's hard to do back there right? And I'm excited about that. God comes and says, I'm going to give you a land. And what kind of land is it? It's flowing with milk and honey, man. I'm going to give you this amazing land, right? And so we understand that through riches, Abram, when you begin to go through uh, the patriarchs, they're rich. They've got all this money. They've got all this wealth. It's unbelievable how God's blessing them. And so they, they, they work through that. We know that the richest man that ever lived, Solomon, was one of them. Right? Even the Jewish people today, you look around the world and you're like, how do they make so much money all the time? Still part of God's gracious blessing upon them. Even if they're not believing, God's gracious blessing and promise is still upon them. Now, notice this. He, he makes sure that he, he explains about these blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 6, that this doesn't go to their head. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. He goes, I'm not giving and blessing all these people upon them because you're good. You're just as lost, you're just as pagan, you're just as undeserving as the rest of the world. But in my own sovereign election, in my choosing, in my calling, in my plan, I chose you. Got that? I then notice the very last thing. He also got, gave God favor. Now notice the, in verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now, this is what he says. How about this for favor? He says, how I'm going to deal with all the other people in the world is based on how they treat you. If they're good to you and they bless you, then I'll bless them. He says, but if they mess with you and they hate you, then I'll not only hate them, but I'll mess them up. That's what I'll do. And so here's the crazy thing. So what we find is through the Old Testament, these people are sinning against God and God's people, and God says, wipe them out. But yet for them, they fail time and 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 time again. And God sits there and goes, I'll give you another chance. That's favor. That's favor of God. Now, the question is, we're still in the same place. God was giving all of these things to them. But does he tell them the reason why he gave it all to them? It does. At the very end of verse 2, look in your Bibles. The very end of verse 2, he says, so that you will be a blessing. At the end of verse 3, he says, so that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I have given you insurmountable blessings of spiritual blessings and material blessings so that you would be a blessing among all nations. Clearly here, this was not a one-time benevolent act to be admired, but rather a, de a demonstration of God's people living out God's purpose for his provision that you, uh, uh, for you, that you and I are to emulate it. We're to emulate the same exact thing. 
He's not sitting there and saying, hey, here's a good example for you. Be impressed with it. Be motivated by it. He says, this is what I want you to emulate. This is why I blessed you. Here, let's ask a couple questions very quickly. You ask honestly, why in the world, why in the world did God choose you to be born in the richest country in the history of mankind? You answer this question. Why in the world did God allow you to be born and me to be born in a place that enjoys more religious freedom and is more saturated with the gospel than any other nation that has ever existed before us? You tell me why. Because somehow you and I are deserving it? Because somehow you and I are less pagan than the rest of the world? Why has God given you money so much so that you're doing everything you can drastically in spending more money on diets per year than 80% of the rest of the world makes in a year to supply food for them and to be able to eat off of? Why did God choose you to be in a place where you don't have to worry about starving to death But yet in each and every day, are we better than the child in Ethiopia and in Sudan and all the places and in Haiti and a place of the world who today will starve to death because 27,000 children a day starve to death? So you and I are somehow more worthy? Man, I hope you feel unbelievably uncomfortable. Because I feel unbelievably uncomfortable with this. I do not feel right about this. I do not feel, I I don't know what I feel. And here we are, wandering in, coming in. It's time to preach. Well, we got other things to do. We got other activities to do. With no small group. Hey, the word's got to be preached. It's all right. We got it all around us. It's no big deal. And yet the people in other countries are going, please, somebody send us the life-giving word. Please send us the word of God. How do you apply this? What do you do with this? What do you do with these lofty thoughts? Because I know that half of you came today and you thought, well, I, I, I kind of hope he kind of gives me something. I'm kind of going through some difficult things in my life. I wish he'd give me, and I know this is going way deeper and way beyond what you expected today. In fact, it's like drinking out of a fire hose when you leave. You're like, I'm never coming back to that place again. I don't even know what that was, right? Let me give you some application, some principles of application, then specific application. First of all, here's the points, because I know your minds are racing. You're trying to figure everything out. Here's what happens. We have extremes. We have some people in here already. They've already hit their husband. The, the wife has said, we're selling the house tomorrow. And you know what? Some of you need to. Some of you don't. Some of you are living in the place that is the very best place for you. It's it's a wonderful place. You've almost got it paid off. Your payment is low and everything. You'd be stupid to be able to give that up. You see that? So you've got to work that out. See, see, See why I don't really try to give a lot of specifics? Because if I give a lot of specifics, then it doesn't all work for everybody. You know, this is what we have to do. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
It's for you to sit there and apply the word and say, what does this look like? And I'm going to get that for a minute. But let me just give you a couple principles to go by. First of all, riches are good. The Bible says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, that paycheck you get, that job that God has given you, man, that's good. It's a blessing of God. You don't have to be embarrassed of it unless you're a crack dealer and you're making your money that way. You should be embarrassed of it. But if you're doing it the right way before God, man, sit back, enjoy, and be blessed. You got it? You don't have to be embarrassed to come here. You don't have to be embarrassed what you drive, you know, per se, or how much money you make. Praise God that God has richly blessed you with that. It's a good thing. Point number two, riches are dangerous. They're good, but man, are they dangerous. Scripture in 1 Timothy, I think Paul says it right to 1 Timothy in 6, 9 through 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You know, one of the best places about, one of the best things about this month is not only the money that's going to go and propagate the gospel for those who don't have it. The wonderful thing is for me is just a fast from spending money. It is good for me. Because in your pastor's heart, I have an idolatrous heart. I have an idolatrous heart that constantly sits there and says, ooh, that's good. I long for that. I want that. And for me to sit back and every time and for you to sit there and go, I won't fall for that. I will detox myself for this. I will not allow anything else to be on the, heart, the throne of my heart other than God and God himself. Man, it's good to do that. That's why we ask you, don't just write a check at the end of the month. Man, take part in it, man. It's fasting from those things we love and desire and worship and pursue. Cut it off. It's so dangerous. Here's another one. Riches are a tool. He says this in the very last portion of the text of Scripture here in Psalm 67. He says, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You see that? God has blessed us. Let all the nations of the earth fear him. It is a tool. It is a tool for those who do not have it, for us to be able to share it for the glory of God. Now, let me give you some specific application. Now, this is where so there's going to be feelings hurt. I'm just saying it right up front. Feelings are going to get hurt. People are going to get mad. You've got to work it out. All right, here, here we go. Number one, begin with the tithe. Begin with the tithe. Now, what this simply means is the tithe is simply what God has required of all believers to sit there and give a tenth of all their income to God to set apart. He did that primarily so that we wouldn't become worshipers of our money, right? Sit there and say, hey, reminder, it's, it's mine. Give me the 10% and set it apart. Make sure that you're giving that above everything else. Now, here's the problem. I know that when folks first come to faith in Jesus Christ, oftentimes, they're in such radically bad debt because they've been worshiping the things rather than the creator that they have got to begin to work as hard and as diligently as they can to get out of that mess. That's why I say some people have to sell a home. Some people have to sell a car. Some people have to do whatever they can to be radically obedient to the call of God. 
to the call of God. And that's just the beginning of it. It's just the beginning of time. But here's what I want to warn you of. But do not be fooled by it. In the contemporary Christian church and Baptist church like ours, what you have is you have those feeling guilty and those feeling supremacy uh, uh, prideful, which in both are equally sinful, okay? Because what's happening is the tither sits there, and when they hear a message like this, the whole time all they're thinking is, I give my 10%. I give my 10%. And that's all I have to do. The word, word of God says, man, that's the beginning, not the end. And don't you know that every single bit of it is God's? So we come back and we say, God, here's your 10%. And we have lived out, this is the principle we've lived, the 90% is for us to do and to squander any way that we want it to do. And I guarantee if you're like me, I said, that 90% is for me and for mine. That's who it's for. God sits there and says, don't be fooled. If you're a tither, don't be fooled. It's the beginning, not the end. Here's the second thing. Begin to view your occupation differently. The truth of the matter is, and we call, and, and I sit there, we've got some, some young people that, who have gone out from this church and some young people now who are going to this church. And we have uh, right now with uh, Whitney and Jared and, and uh, Julie Peterson. She's, she's about to be deployed to the mission field. We've got another young couple that's going to, to uh, Ethiopia and some that's going to go to seminary. Then they're going to be, uh, they're going to be on the field uh, for the rest of their lives unless God calls them to do otherwise. Look, I realize that I push that a lot because I have to believe of a church of 600, there has to be then more than three that are willing to go. I believe that. Do you believe that? I believe that. But I believe it's very, very clear that not all are going to be called expressly to go in a full-time capacity. I know that. Here's why. Because we've got to be able to send those that are going, right? They can't work when they're there. So we, you either have to be a radical giver or you have to be a radical or goer or a radical giver, right? So we're looking and saying, they're, they're willing. They've received the call. They're on there. What can I do to do everything I can to make sure that they're there? That's the way that I'm going to sow into them. So you've got to look at your job differently. Some people will sit back, and this is why I said that riches are good, and the fact that some people will sit there and go, well, I've got to, you know what? I feel guilty because I'm making money. Don't feel guilty about it. Only feel guilty is if you're following the lie that 90% or 100% of it is for you. And that somehow there was something great about you that God gave you all that wealth for you to spoil yourself. If you are a businessman and you're thinking and you're working and you have that job, you need to sit back and go, this is my mission field. Not only am I called here in this job to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but this is a way that God has given us to be able to fund the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole known world. Do you see the difference there? That's why, and this is where everyone starts to hate, for most of the cases, I am an anti-retire guy, all right? I, look, see, this is, where people, this is when people just sit there, and this is where I get the notes and everything else. I'm just going to give it to you, all right? I'm an anti-retire guy. Here's the deal. Sometimes it's best to retire because sometimes if you can retire and you've got some kind of income coming in or a pension or something like that that could keep coming in, you can make enough money, that kind of stuff to be able to live and to be able to continue to be able to give and to be able to support in that way and to be able to go. Do something with that retirement. If you're going to retire, man, go. Work in a full-time capacity for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're freed up, right? But if you're going to stay and buy a Winnebago and travel around the world, and sit there hopping from place to place because you said, I worked for 30 years. I worked for 40 years. The next 20 is mine. Winnebago, here I come. That's a waste, brother. That's a waste. 
So keep working. Do the best that you can. Hey, man, I know sometimes physical problems and all this, you, you, you're going to have to back out. I get that, all right? I'm thinking about retiring this year, right? I mean, I get that, all right? I'm only 40, and I, and I feel that. But here's what I'm trying to say is, guys, some of you guys that have an incredible ability to make money, and even if you don't, you sit there and you say, God, I'm going to be the best at what I do, and I'm going to make droves of money. God, here's your prayer, pour it down on me. Pour it down on me, God. Let it come through in business do better than ever before. But here's what I'm going to do, God. My, 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 my manner of living is not going to go up. We don't have to keep raising the bar of our living standard, folks. We're already filthy rich. We're richer than 98% of all the people on the face of the earth. Filthy rich. How much do we have to have, for goodness sake? But to sit there and say, man, I will be the best at what I do. I will be a doctor, I'll be a lawyer, I'll be a teacher, I'll be a whatever it is. And the reason is, is because I'm going to use this as a platform so that all the nations will be glad in him. Third thing, begin by bringing everything to God in prayer. This is the only way to work this out. Because you'll go nuts trying to work this out. I'm telling you, you'll go nuts. You, you with me? This is what my wife and I, we've been trying to do this for years. We're trying to do everything we can to be faithful to this principle. And what we do is we take everything to prayer. Because here's the, here's the bottom line. Don't walk out of here and go, man, I should never go on a vacation. Because I don't believe that's true. If that's true, I'm going to burn out and, and I, I can't be your pastor anymore. I'm going to die. You understand what I'm saying? I've I got to get out of here somehow, some way. I love you. It's not you, it's me. That sounds weird. Anyway, it's not you, it's me. You've had that, and it's not you, it's me before, haven't you? But sometimes, I mean, I've just got to detox the mind, you're right? And so, and, and guess what? And, 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 and sometimes, you've got to replace that car of yours. Bro, you are, you are not green, all right, at all. I mean, you are blowing smoke from one side to the next. Praise Jesus for it, and it might be falling apart. You might sit there, and here's what you're going to do. If God provided that money, you go out and get that car. God provided you with a house, you get that house. But here's what has to happen. Everything you do, and we do this, I promise you, from the groceries that we buy to everything else, we pray, God, help us to be the greatest steward that we possibly can. Can we take this vacation? Oh, yeah, we could afford that vacation. But the truth of the matter is I don't feel real right about taking that vacation. This one would work fine. Hey, man, I'd really love to buy that house, but you know what the truth of the matter is? This house would do us fine. We don't have to have the biggest, the best, and everything else. We don't have to have the best car. Here's why. Because we could do this and that and the other thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just do everything through God in prayer. Now let me ask you a question just in close. Do you see that there has to be a reason in God's sovereign will why he blessed you the way that he did? Do you see that? This would help me so I don't go and be depressed all afternoon. This would help me. Just throw it out there. Here's what I want you to understand. If you were one of those in the 6,000 people groups that have no access to the word of God, of Jesus Christ, you were out there, and somehow you were out of the body, and you, were, you became one of them, and you were back here in the States, how confident would you be that you'd hear the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ based on you? For many of us, probably not. I'm not good with that. Are you? 
Jesus, we come to you right now. We bless you and we honor you and we thank you. God, we are not worthy to be saved. We're not worthy of your goodness. We are not worthy of your mercy. We're not worthy of any of these things. God, but you have entrusted us with all of this to make a provision, to be able to fulfill your plan so that you would be glorified. 